Amen. You may have a seat. Well, good morning, church. I know we were a few minutes late getting started. The Super Bowl doesn't start till 5.30, so I'll try to hurry up and get you home by then. I'll try. So if you haven't been here in a while, we are in a sermon series titled Fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we're in the, the fourth week of this series, and if, if you've been here, you've recognized that Andrew, throughout this series, has just read the first part of that proverb, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But I wanted to read the whole thing, and I'll, I'll expand on that later, around four o'clock or so when we're trying to wrap this up. But in the first week of this series, Andrew talked about how God is God and that we are not. Psalm 100 verse 3, know that the Lord is God, that he is huge, that he is holy, but yet wants to know us in the deepest, most intimate places. He wants to be with us through the good and the bad and the ugly. And then the second week, we heard how we are to fear the Lord, but to shun evil. To pay attention to what's going on around us, to recognize evil for what it is, and not take it in. To shun it and to turn away from it. And then last week, Andrew talked through how we don't have to fear what others fear. Right? When our fear for the Lord is in its right place... Fears and anxieties of the other things go down. But when we set the Lord aside, our humanity takes over and our fears and anxieties go up. Isaiah 8.12, do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. And this week we get to take a different spin a little bit on the fear of the Lord. We're going to talk through delighting. In the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11, 2 through 3. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now, if, you, if you're not aware of this, throughout this series, Andrew has been teaching one message at first service, and a completely different message at the second service. And I'll confess, when I heard he had that idea, there was fear that entered me. It's hard enough for me to come up with one, so he was willing to do two. Good for him. I'll do this one. But as I've reflected on this series, and as I've taken that hard step of like the self-evaluation of where my fears are, I've discovered that I often, when I think of fear, ask the wrong question. When our fears come, we usually ask why or what. Well, what if I do this and this happens? Or why is that person doing that? Well, what if I fail? That's what brings our humanity fear out. But I think a better question, at least for myself, that I've discovered is who? Who is God? Who am I? Who does he say I am? And as I kind of wrestled with that all week, 
And I came across a story in Matthew. And I don't remember if it was part of a devotion or studying for class or something. But it was the story in Matthew where the Pharisees came to Jesus and they tried to trick him about paying taxes. And Jesus said, well, let me, let me see the coin. So they handed him the coin and it had Caesar's picture on it. And Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And I think as we move through this series of the fear of the Lord, it's helpful to know who we are, right? We have to give to God what is God's. And we, like the coin, bear Caesar's image. We bear God's image. And how can we not delight when we're already his? So we're going to spend some time this morning going through Deuteronomy 6. And this chapter in the Old Testament is titled, Love the Lord Your God. So Deuteronomy, just the name Deuteronomy means second law. And it's not like a new law or a refreshed one. It's the second law is a way of saying, we're reminding you of all of God's laws. And so at this point in the Bible, we see the people of Israel come out of Egypt. They've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. A generation of people that had left Egypt has now died off. And right before this, we see that they're getting ready to enter the promised land. They're getting ready to enter the land that God has promised generations in their family. And we see Moses meet with God, and he gets the Ten Commandments, and then we pick it up here in chapter 6, where Moses starts to explain what all of this means to the people. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as they live, by keeping all the decrees and the commands I give you. Why does he do all that? So that you may enjoy long life. There's a lot there to just delight in. That's a lot that God has promised them. The Lord your God, he is the God. And you are his. And it's not just for you, but he also promises it's for your children and for their children. And an interesting point here in verse 3, it starts by saying, hear Israel. And one of the things I've discovered this week is the word hear in the original language is much different than the word that we think of as hear. Like when we think of hear, there's just an audible noise that our brain registers. But this word in the original language means that you're, you're hearing it, you're taking it in, but you do that with the full intent of doing what is told to you. So it's not just practice of listening, it's a listening and doing. So it says, Hear Israel, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised. Delight in the fear of the Lord, but... But be careful. Don't just take what you think is yours. The God, God will give you what you need. In verse 4, we see this same phrase start off. When you see it twice, it's probably a pretty big deal. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I'll, many of us recognize this phrase, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Some of you might even have cute pictures hanging on your wall at home or in your office. We see this again in the, in the New Testament where Jesus quotes this line out of Deuteronomy. Again, we see the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. These guys never seem to figure it out. But they say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? To which Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else hangs on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God. Fear him. Delight in him with all your heart, with all your soul with all your strength, with all your mind. In the Jewish culture, this, this passage is known as the Shema. So they recite this every morning at prayer time and every evening at prayer time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It is a way for them to say, God, you are God and that we are not. And by delighting in the fear of the Lord, they become disciplined and love him deeper. I mean, many think that the, the Lord just wants our submission, right? And our time and our money and our energy. But this is a way to remind you that we're just supposed to love the Lord. He wants to love us and the rest of that will just fall into place. So as I studied Deuteronomy 6 this week, there, was, there were two passages that really jumped out at me. And the first one is verse 7. It says, Impress them on your children. Talking about what we just talked about, how to love the Lord your God. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Impress them upon your children. The word impress means an act of making an impression or a mark. You don't have to force it upon them. Don't demand they get it right. Don't make them fear you so they believe what you believe. Live it out. Show it by your speech, by your actions, by your example. And don't just do it on Sunday morning when we come here, but make it a lifestyle. Impress it upon your children. And for those of you that were here last Sunday at the second service, we witnessed this very thing. So I remember I was over in the baptismal, standing in the water. I just baptized Thomas. And just in that moment, Thomas, I don't even know if Thomas is here, but what a beautiful picture of who God is. Big and powerful, but yet so gentle and pure. It's beautiful. So I'm, I'm standing over here in the water, and I, and I see Andrew talking to his sons. And the emotion comes. 
And you can just hear how proud he is and how much he loves them. And I can see the tears falling from their chin. The light was hitting them just right. And if you don't know me very well, I like to cry. And so when I saw that emotion come, I'm like, I got to look away. So I look down here at the front row. And there's Andrew's dad and Camille and the rest of the family. And they all have tears falling and quivering chins and snot bubbles. And it was... But it dawned on me. That was what had happened. Generations of impressing the love of God. And we even heard Ezra confess it when he said, I know that you and mom live this out. And I know it's real. And I want to claim it for myself. That's what this Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 looks like in person. And if you weren't here last Sunday, I would strongly encourage you to go back and watch that. It was very powerful. But the fact that they had lived it out and impressed it upon their children. And I'm going to move on before the emotion keeps coming. But verse 8 Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What does that mean? Always have them close to you. Always have them on display in your life as a way for God's word to lead you in all you do. So by the time those words are written and Jesus came, the Jewish people took this phrase literally. And they wore things called phylacteries. Anybody ever heard of a phylactery? A few of you. Of course, Andrew did. But many Jewish people actually still do this. And so it's a little leather box. And within those boxes, there are four passages written on little rolls of paper. And those passages are Exodus 13, 9, Exodus 13, 16, Deuteronomy 6, 8, and Deuteronomy 11, 18. And they all say about the same thing. Fix these on your arm. Fix these on your head. And so the one they would wear on their arm, they would, they would wrap the leather around their arm and they would mount the box on the inside of their bicep. And they would do that for the reason that when God's word is there, it's always close to their heart. And they wear this box on their forehead with those passages in it as a way to symbolize God's word is always on my mind. It's always near to my thoughts. And it's always leading me. Right? When you have that box on your forehead, every step you take, it leads you to where you want to go. But we also see that even in that, the Pharisees kind of messed it up. Because we see in Matthew 23, verses 5 and 7, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels of their garments long. So they were taking what God had made for good and they were trying to show off with it. So they would make their phylacteries wider or decorate them fancier, the tassels on their robes longer as a way to show off. 
I mean, can't you just hear the kids on the playground back in the day? Well, my dad's phylactery is bigger than your dad's phylactery. In verse 9, it goes on to say more about this. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This, again, was a practice of the Jewish people then and still is in many parts of the world. They have these things called mezuzah. I think we have a picture of one of them. So this is mounting on the door frame. And inside of that cylinder is scripture written. And as you come and go out of your home, you touch that. Many people will kiss it as a way to say, Lord, you're with me in my coming, in my going. You protect my home. It's a way to remind people that God is God and that we are to fear him, but also delight in the fear of him because he is always near. In verses 10 through 12, Moses reminds them uh, that they have all. All they have is from the Lord and that the Lord has given it to them, that they can't be boastful or arrogant or complacent in their faith. They can't lose their fear of the Lord. So when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you. So God's going to do his part. He's keeping his end of the promise. He's giving them this land, a land with large flourishing cities that they did not build. Houses filled with all good things that they didn't provide. Wells that they didn't dig. And vineyards and olive groves that they didn't plant. And then, when you eat and you are full, or eat and you are satisfied, be careful. Be careful. Don't forget the Lord. He brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. So we see that God is God, right? He is faithful, and we are to fear him and delight in him. He is the one entrusting these people with all they have just as he is entrusting us with all we have, right? Our nice cars are going to get us home to our nice houses so we can watch our big screen TVs and watch the Super Bowl and check all the stats on our new iPhones. Lord is saying, all those are good. Enjoy those, but remember where they came from. Fear the Lord, but also delight in the Lord. And it's, and it's interesting that in our culture, we, we say grace before we eat, right? We pray to give thanks for the food. But many cultures actually pray again when they're done eating. When you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord. So many cultures will pray again after the meal as a way of saying, Lord, we recognize you. We thank you for all you've given us. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit so you can be home by 5.30. The other passage that jumped out to me this week was verse 20. It says, In the future, when your sons ask, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and the laws that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell them, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord... The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, 
on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. He brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all his decrees, to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. So when we read the story and we get to know the whole story, it's easy for us to think, well, sure, Israel should be happy about all that, right? They're out of Egypt. They've got this promised land. How hard could it be to delight in the fear of the Lord? But what about us? How hard is it for us to not just fear, but also delight in the fear of the Lord? So I started by reading Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I wanted to read that whole thing, and many of you probably already know this, but for a very long time, I was the fool. I didn't need God. At least I thought I didn't need God. I certainly didn't want him. But then on that day, and I won't share the whole story again because some of you have probably heard it ad nauseum, but the day that the Lord wrecked my life by the power of his Holy Spirit, and I began to realize that God is God, and that I wasn't, there was certainly fear involved. But it was also a beginning. And over time, I realized the, that the Lord was bringing me out of something and bringing me into something new. And over time, I realized that the Lord was actually saving me from the slavery that was myself. And I began to realize how amazing his grace truly is and how much awe and reverence and praise and worship he's worthy of. And how I not only need to fear him, but also delight in the fear of the Lord. And that's when I was set free. from all the broken relationships, from all the ways that I was selfish, for all the times that I would just try to drown my insecurities and my failures, from all the times that I felt the shame of waking up in the morning wondering what I'd done the night before. For all the ways that I had tried to find my identity and what the world told me that I should be. God brought me out of that bondage. And he said, I'm bringing you out of that. Out of that slavery to sin. Into something better. Something life-giving. Do I still struggle? Do I still sin? <laughs> Probably more than I care to admit. 
Do I still feel shame when my daughters hear stories about who I used to be? Absolutely. But I can also tell you that if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't be here. So when we try to focus on God being God and that we're made truly in his image, we are his image bearers, and we try to recognize evil and we try to shun it from our lives, try to keep our minds and our hearts close to his word, try to impress upon people in our lives his goodness and his faithfulness. Those dark places get to be where we used to be, not where we have to stay. And I know that God has more for me. And I know he has more for the next generation, for my children and their children. And the same is true for you. So because of all of that, I get to delight in the fear of the Lord. There's probably some of us here today that still feel like you're stuck in slavery to something. Some of you may feel like you've broken out of slavery, but you're just wandering. And hopefully, there's at least a few of you that feel like you're living in that all that God has promised, and you're in that land of milk and honey. But the truth is, no matter where you're at in that journey, God is the same. Verse 24, the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we may always prosper and be kept alive as is the case this day. So friends, I don't know where you're at in your journey. Probably only you can answer that. But I do know that you are alive today, in this place today, for a reason. And I hope that the Lord reveals that to you. So I want to invite the worship team up And we're going to spend some time worshiping. I'm going to close in prayer and then we'll worship the one that was, the one that is, and the one that will always be. The Lord our God. The Lord, the Lord is one. So will you pray with me? So God, we thank you for all your promises, for all your faithfulness. for all you've brought us out to, out of and all that you're bringing us into. And we know that that looks different from person to person in this room. But we know that you know it all. And you have plans for us that we would live long, prosperous lives. But we know that it's not just a, a prosper gospel. We know that you gave up your life for the sake of our sin. And so, Lord, we thank you for who you are, for the ways that you love us.
And we want to lift up our praise to you now. We pray that it would be honoring to you and that you would receive it as the delight that we have in having you as our Savior. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and do what only you can do. That if there are people that are being held captive this morning to their sin, to their shame, that this is the day that that ends. That they would be set free from that in Jesus' name. And Lord, for any ways that there's people here that are wandering, that just feel lost, would you speak purpose and direction to their hearts this morning? Give them ears to hear that with the purpose of doing it. And for those in the room that feel like they're living in all that you've promised, that the the milk and the honey is flowing, Lord, we praise you for all that you've given us. That we wouldn't be satisfied, that we wouldn't be arrogant in all that we think we've accomplished. But we would give you the glory, knowing that you have entrusted us with all of it. Come Holy Spirit, it's in Jesus' name, amen.